Bible tonight, this morning, I ask you to turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter number 4, John's Gospel, chapter number, or I should say a Gospel according to John, it's not John's Gospel, it's Jesus' Gospel, John's just writing about it, and Lord willing, today we'll finish up this chapter in the Brother, Brother Ware started in the adult Sunday school class and began a series on faith today. And I looked at him, I said, well, Lord willing, you ain't going to believe what I'm going to preach on today. He said, faith, amen, and faith. And I say this, that, that means that somebody here, and I know there's somebody here that needs to hear it. You know why I know that? Because I need to hear a message on faith, and God help my faith. And, and uh, no, doubt, um, no doubt we all need our faith strengthen. John chapter number 4 verse 43. If you found your place in your copy of the Bible, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. In verse 43, verse 43, the Bible says, Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was going down, now going down, his servants met him, and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of, the, of them the hour when he began to amend. They said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that he was, it was the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed and his whole house. This again, the second miracle that Jesus did when he would come out of Judea into Galilee. Would you help us pray and you can be seated. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord God, for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord God, for the sweet Spirit of God. Thank you for the people of God that are here. Thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing to you this morning and about you. Father, I pray you'd help me preach with unction and power and anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. God, we realize that all is vain except the Spirit of the Holy One come down. And God, that we, we are standing in a place where the arm of flesh will fail us and has failed us before. So God, we rely on you in faith to help me to preach your word this morning. And God, as I preach the message you've laid on my heart, I understand this, that there are multiple people in this room that need something fresh from you. And Father, you've got it. And I pray, God, you would work in this part of the service in a way that only you can but God I pray you'd guard me guard my mind and guard my mouth and please God guard my motives to be pure in your sight this morning in Jesus name I pray amen and amen you may be seated thank you for standing for the word of God John's gospel is preeminently the gospel of 
belief, if I could say it like that. He wrote at the end of this gospel, we'll get there eventually, but in John chapter 20 verse 31, he wrote that, that his readers might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. That verb believe, it's over a hundred times in this gospel and, and, and the majority of the times we read the word believe, that verb believe, it's referring to believing and saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, through believing on Jesus Christ men become children of God. Through believing on Jesus Christ, people obtain eternal life. They avoid judgment. They partake in the resurrection of life. They possess the indwelling Holy Spirit. They are delivered from spiritual darkness and they find empowerment for the spiritual service God has called them to do. And God commands people to believe in His Son, in John chapter 6, they asked Jesus, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him in whom he or whom he hath sent. That is the command of God, is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But sadly, the tragic truth is most people won't believe. Most people refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. Oh, they will have good works to pile up beside their name. They'll have religious zeal. But listen, unbelievers can never please God. The Bible said in Hebrews chapter 11 verse number 6 that without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Uh, the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. No matter what else you may do, you cannot please God without faith. You may sing a beautiful song. You may give a sacrificial offering. You may walk circumspectly to this world and you may serve faithfully uh, to the work of God. But if you are not believing God, if you do not have faith, you are not pleasing Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And the greater your faith, uh, the greater glory God gets in that faith. He is pleased with our faith. I read one writer, he said this, By faith, God give, by faith man gives God pleasure, and by faith God gives man treasures. Amen? By faith. Listen, unbelief is the damning sin. The Bible says that he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The Bible said when this, Jesus said when the Spirit of God comes, he will come and he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me. Unbelief is the damning sin of the soul. And unbelief at its core is the rejection of the saving truth of God contained in the holy word of God. Unbelief is a rejection of Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by Him. The Bible said this in John chapter 12. Though He had done many miracles before them, yet they believed not in on him that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spake Lord who hath 
believed our report and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed we have found in our scriptures we have found in the, in the text at hand we have found in John's gospel already that Israel has rejected his miraculous signs they have rejected his word just like they rejected the prophets of the Old Testament now in our economy, in our economy, the dollar is the, the medium of exchange. And I know the dollar doesn't mean much today. Uh, and I appreciate that, uh, to our, that much appreciation to our administration uh, that the dollar means very little today. But the dollar is the way you exchange things in our economy. But in the economy of God, in the economy of heaven, faith is the medium of exchange. Uh, the Bible says, according to your faith, be it unto you the Bible says it is not according to our friends it is not according to our family it is not according to our fortune or our feelings or our faith it is according to our faith be it unto you and so my friend I want to look today at this nobleman's faith and I want to see the power of faith the power of faith this morning notice first of all the problem of superficial faith. Look at your Bible, verse 45. Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him. Now, now that phrase received him does not indicate that these people of Galilee believed on him as the Messiah or the Savior. They didn't believe. Well, here's what they did. They believed that he was a miracle worker. That's all they did. See, they had seen certain miracles performed over in Jerusalem. They may have even been the same crowd that saw the miracle of the water into wine. And here's what. They were hoping for a repeat performance. They were looking for an encore. A chavia. They were just looking for some other spectacular, some big uh, show, some, some uh, a scene that he could make. And they, they, they were looking. They were not looking for his word. They were not listening for his word or his message. They never sat at his feet to worship him. They wished to see miracles. Now, last time he was there, the Bible said in John chapter 2, Verse number 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name. And if there was a period there, we would say, wow, hallelujah. But it goes on. Then it says, when they saw the miracles which he did. And then you think, well, that's okay, isn't it? Well, verse 24 reveals their heart. The Bible says, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. Basically what it says here is, verse 23, they believed in him because they saw the signs and the wonders and the miracles, but he did not believe in them because he saw their heart. They did not have genuine faith. They had superficial faith. They had shallow faith. They had a faith that was only in that this man can do miracles. This man can work signs. He can work wonders. Listen, they were curiosity seekers. They were hoping to see him perform some sensational feat. They were looking for him to do some kind of great miracle in their side. Again, it was superficial. It was shallow. But then we have another part of the story. The Bible said in verse number 46, So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine. 
And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. That conjunction there, the verse 46, that conjunction so, it introduces the story of a royal official and it makes this man, this nobleman, it presents him as an example of those Galileans who all they viewed Jesus as was a miracle worker and not the Messiah. This one man rep is representing the entire people of Galilee. I want you to notice a couple of things about this man. First of all, we see his position. The Bible said he, is the, he was a certain noble man. That word nobleman means more than just a man in high standing. It, matter of fact, it means that this man probably was connected to the royal household. And that this man was attached somehow to the king of that time. He enjoyed high eminence above everybody else because he was connected to the king. Uh, most likely this man served in some capacity uh, in a role uh, to Herod Antipas. Antipas, Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great and Herod the Great was the one who was ruling when Jesus was born. He's the one that put out the decree to have all those babies killed uh, throughout Bethlehem. And so then Antipas took over the throne if you will. Some believe, and this is just speculation, this is just, uh, just a point of reference maybe, but some believe this nobleman might have been uh, uh, the, the man named Chusa, Herod's steward, which is mentioned in Luke chapter 8 when it says that his wife followed Jesus and became a woman who accompanied those other women that followed Jesus. Uh, some even think that maybe this is, uh, this is the man named Manan from Acts chapter 13 who we are told was brought up with Herod the Tetriarch. May, he was one of the co-laborers at the church of Antioch. So, so it may have been that he was a family member of Herod. Here's the thing. We don't know for sure who he is, but we know this man, this position of this man is one high in society. This is not some pauper. This is not some ordinary person. This is a noble man, a, a royal man, a royal official, if you will. We see his position but we see his plight no matter this man's position he had an issue this man was a nobleman. This man had, had much to commend him. He maybe had titles by his name. He may have had many resources at his hand but he had a problem. And you know this many of us it does not matter what's in your bank account it does not matter what's part of your biographical sketch. It doesn't matter what stock you come from. It does not matter what titles are by our names. It does not matter what other accolades we may obtain. We have problems that only God can fix. Your position does not position you away from peril. Uh, your position uh, in this world does not uh, get you away from uh, plights. It does not get you away from problems. So we see his plight. His plight is that his son is sick unto death. Now, this son does not just have a little cough. He does not just have a little runny nose. He, he does, and, and we find out he had a fever, but it's worse than just, a, a, just running a fever because he's teething or running a fever to, to, to fight off some small little something. This boy's got a fever unto death. This man's got a problem. We see his position. We see his problem or his plight. We see his plea. Look what he does. He comes, the Bible says, in verse number 47. 
When he heard, talking about this nobleman, when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Hey, he's got an urgent need. Now listen, I have to imagine this man of noble stature, this man of royal uh, dignity had probably already exhausted all of his resources, right? He had probably called the best doctors in Cana, uh, Capernaum. He had probably called even the doctors around the city. He had probably found out maybe there's a doctor in a larger city that maybe could help. Or maybe he done uh, had uh, spent all of his money. Maybe he maxed out his insurance line. I don't know what all he had done but no doubt this man had tried everything and without, with, with no avail nothing had made this boy better nothing none of the resource that he had resources that he had at his fingertips helped his boy's situation he was still sick and he's still about to die and so there's an urgency in this daddy can you imagine what this daddy is feeling like I know this that when it is your children when it is your child that is hurting the emotions are a lot different than when it's somebody else's child listen I deal with young people every single day of my life I have for many years now and I'm, I'm moved with compassion when a little child gets hurt I'm moved with compassion when a young person gets hurt I'm moved with compassion when somebody around me is hurting or sick or ill but my friend there is just something different when those three little Allen kids get sick there is something different when I think about them having to see a doctor or them having to have a surgery or them having to have some kind of a procedure done there's just something different when it's your own child can you imagine this father's panic of this father's emotion this father's urgent need compelled this man to go to where this Jesus is now I don't know all that this man knew about Jesus but he knew he was a miracle worker he knew at least that he had turned water into wine. And I guess he maybe if that's all he knew, he'd say, well, if he could do that with the natural elements of this world, surely he can do something with the natural elements of man. Or maybe he saw or heard about the other things that had took place at Jerusalem. I don't know everything. Maybe he saw it himself. The things he performed in Jerusalem that we, we only read that he healed some sick folk. He healed people in John's gospel at least. We don't know the details of what all took place there. Maybe he heard about them from the other Galileans that had went down to Jerusalem and that was there when Jesus healed those people and performed those miracles. But nonetheless, he runs to Jesus and when he finds Jesus he began to frantically implore come down to Capernaum and heal my son. Now that word besought it's in the imperfect perfect tense. And here's what the word means. He does over and over and over and over repeatedly begging Jesus to come cure my son's disease. This man of noble stature, this man of royal lineage, maybe even royal lineage, but, may, but at least a man of royal stature, he, he swallows his pride. He's a respected member of Herod's crew. And yet he swallowed his pride to bow down and to beg help from a carpenter's son. Can you see it? 
I can see him as he gets what he thinks in earshot of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, come to Capernaum. Come to Capernaum. Come, my son is sick. My son is about to die. Come with me, please. Come to my house. Please, let me get to him. Let me get to him. Let me get closer to him. Jesus, Jesus, please, come. My son's about to die. Let me get close to him, please. I can see him when he gets right there to Jesus. He's pulling on his garments. Please, my son's about to die. I've done everything I know to do. And I don't know anything. You're a miracle worker. They say you can do stuff like this. Please come help me. My boy's about to die. We see his plea. But then look what the Bible says. Jesus, verse 48. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, you will not. Man, this man, this nobleman has wasted no time. As soon, the Bible said, as soon as he heard that Jesus was in the vicinity, he seized his opportunity. He hurried to Cana and he pled with Jesus, please come on down, heal my son. He's at the point of death. But yet his plea received an instant check, if you will, a rebuke from the Lord. Jesus looked at that man and he ignored his request and he challenged the ground of his faith. Talking about the problem of of superficial faith. He said this, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Can I give you a Bible lesson real quickly? It's real short, one minute Bible lesson. Your King James Bible's perfect. Amen? And watch this. You know what ye means? Ye means y'all. Ye is plural. If you've got some other perversion, it's got just the word you there, and you don't know if it's plural or not. Or you've got to have some teacher or preacher tell you that. Amen. And you can't read your Bible on your own. You've got to listen to what the, the, the priest says, you know, all them that are heading back to the Catholic Church. Ye means y'all. Well, this is one man. So this rebuke is not just to this man. I told you earlier, this man is representing the entire area of Galilee. He's he's representing the heart of these Galileans who received Jesus. He is representing them. And he says, except y'all, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. That word ye is plural. And signs and wonders... Now those signs, signs suggest the spiritual aspect of miracles and its signs are intended to say, hey, what I'm doing has a deeper truth and it proves that that person who performs them is direct, is under the authority of God. So it's not that signs are bad. Wonders simply mean they draw attention to some external aspect, what's happening on the outside. They're, they're designed to attract attention. And listen, nothing bad about these signs and wonders but Jesus says this except you see signs and wonders you're not going to believe Jesus looks at this man as a representative of the kind of people whose faith constantly had to be propped up by some sign or some wonder or some miracles don't forget where he just left from he just left from Samaria you know enemy territory you know People that don't do right. People that don't live right. People that are wicked and ungodly and people that don't. You know what? The Bible tells us about that visit in Samaria, those two nights in Samaria, that he did, as far as we know, he did not one miracle there. 
They believed on him because of what they heard him say. He just left Samaria. He is contrasting these Galileans with the Samaritans and he's thinking about those people believed without having, uh, having their faith propped up by miracles. But you people have seen miracles and yet you still don't believe. This man's motto was seeing is believing. This man reminds me, of, 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 you've heard this statement, God if you'll just give me a sign, if you'll just give me a wonder, then I can believe. This man was dependent on his five senses. If I could see it, if I could smell it, if I could taste it, if I could touch it, if I could feel, if I could just, if I could experience it. Oh man, these churches all over this country today, they are promoting all weekend long. Here's what they've been for. Come experience worship. Come experience something better than the Super Bowl this Sunday. Come experience this thing. Come experience. And here's what they want you to do. They want you to feel it. They want you to see it. That's why they got the old colored lights and the black ceilings and the smoke and the fog. And They want you to hear it. They want it to be rocking out and booming out. They, they, I mean, listen, they're changing it because they want you to experience. They're li we're living off the five senses. That's why they're having big crusades and other places with, with all these deliverance things going on. I'm talking about ex-independent fundamental Baptists having these deliverance things because they want you to experience God. Experience the power of God. And guess what? Galileans had experienced God and they still didn't believe. These, the devils believe and tremble. Hey, don't forget the devils experience the power, right? Jesus pulled them devils out. And they experience something from him, but they don't believe on him for salvation. This man represents that crowd who just says, give me a sign, Lord, give me a sign. Give me a sign, Lord. Give me a wonder. Let me see something. Let me see. The Bible says faith. Faith is not seeing. Faith is evidence of the things not seen. He wasn't dependent on the word of God. He's dependent on his five senses. Look at verse 49. We're talking about the power or the problem of superficial faith. Look at verse 49. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. This man, he, he seems as if he just ignores what Jesus has just said. He ignores Jesus' indictment on him and the other Galileans. He pours out his heart. Listen to him. Sir, Come down to Capernaum and look at it before my child die. Now, verse 47, he just called him my son, which was true. But now he gets, he uses a diminutive there. He uses a, a word that gets a little bit closer to the heart. My child. Here's what that word child literally means. He says, my little child, my dear child. He, he uses a word that's more intimate, that's more close to his heart. Oh, would you come please, my little child, my little boy, my boy that's dear to my heart. He's about to die. Maybe, maybe if this, this maybe this teacher, maybe this miracle worker, if he hears about a little child, he'll, he'll come. We see the problem, problem of superficial state. Now, 
we see something take place. The shift, things start shifting in verse number 50. Verse 50 says this, Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. Jesus says, I'm not going. I'm not coming to Capernaum. Go on back to Capernaum. Your son's alive. Your son's living. Notice what the Bible says. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and went his way. We find here, now we see the progression of substantial faith. He went from superficial faith, now he's got substantial faith. Listen, he is now believing. And instead of Jesus agreeing to go back to Capernaum, he's like this man is begging him to do, he says, go thy way, thy son liveth. And watch this, we find out later that at that very instant, that boy was healed. But the daddy hadn't seen it yet. The daddy hadn't heard from home yet. The daddy didn't get a text message saying, He's alive! He's alive! He didn't have a little pigeon drop a little note in his hand. He's alive, don't worry. No, he heard the word of God. He heard the word of Jesus and the Bible said he believed it. We see the progression of substantial faith. See, without any tangible proof, this man Believed the word of God. How, how can I have substantial faith? Y'all remember the story of the man whose son was, was, was in, in a lot of trouble and he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. You know how to have substantial faith. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to be really deep. Y'all ready for this? Number one, hear the word of God. Just hear. See, faith is not naming it and claiming it. <laughs> See, faith is not receiving from God what you want. Faith is accepting from God what he gives. <laughs> Hear the word of God. Romans 10, verse 13 and 14 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how, that, how then shall they call on him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they believe in him? I mean, I'm sorry. How shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 17 says, "Then So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith is taking God at his word. The man believed the word Jesus said to him. He heard Jesus. Listen, if you're going to have faith, number one, you're going to have to know what God has said and if you want others to have faith you're going to have to tell them what God has said you understand we are living in a world I know we're in a dark hour but there is a generation that wants to know truth I heard something the other day that, that was talking about the differences what's happening now in society is not, not like it's the same stuff, so don't get me wrong here, but it's very similar to the 50s, 60s, 70s in America when the huge cultural shift started happening. And you know what happened in the 50s, 60s, and 70s is the people, the preachers that were preaching truth, God started moving, and that's when the independent Baptist churches became the mega churches of the country, and the Sunday schools became the biggest, and the ones that were preaching truth because they saw that the truth was in stark contrast to what was going on in this world. 
I'm telling you, I don't know that we're going to have a, a movement again where the Independent Baptist Church are the biggest churches in the world or not. I don't know that, but I know this. Our truth that we hold to in this word is in stark contrast to what's going on in this world. And there's a generation that wants to see, they want truth. They're, they're wanting truth. Now, I'm not saying they're going to receive it, but they want, to, they want to know that there is a truth out there. And we've got truth this morning. The word of God. That's why he says, that's why Paul said, how can they hear without a preacher? See, your faith must be based on the word of God, on the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. Not signs, not wonders, not some kind of, uh, uh, some kind of supposed miracles, but the word of God. Number one, hear the word, but number two, believe the word. It's not enough just to hear the word of God. You can sit here and listen to me to preach this morning. You can sit and listen to the Sunday school teachers teach this morning. But if you don't believe the word of God, you are not going to have faith. You've got to believe the word of God. See, faith is seeing. It is not seeing signs and wonders. Faith is responding to the character of God. Your eyes, if your eyes are right, your eyes respond to light. Your ears, if your ears are right, your ears respond to sound. If your heart's right, your heart will respond to God when he speaks. And when God speaks through his word, there's something in you, if your heart's right, that says, amen, that's right, that's true. And God, when God speaks, if your heart's right, it'll, it'll believe the word of God, hear the word of God. But then you've got to obey the word of God. The Bible says, and the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. He went. He did exactly what Jesus told him to do. The Bible calls that in the book of Romans, obedience of faith. See, real faith is belief with legs on it. James said it like this, for as the body without the spirit is dead, and so faith without works is dead. You don't have strong faith if you don't obey the word of God. You hear the word of God. You believe the word of God. And then you obey the word of God. See, if this man was still at that superficial state, if he was still at that shallow faith, then he'd still be there begging Jesus for a miracle. He'd still be begging Jesus for a sign. He'd be begging Jesus for a wonder. But no, he hears the word of God. He believes the word of God. And he leaves, Jesus. He leaves it with Jesus. He does exactly what Jesus tells him to do. He believes the word of God. But I believe this. He rested in the word of God. Look at verse 51. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. Now, now I want to ask you a question. If you had a son, now Capernaum was about 16 to 20 miles from where he was there in Cana. If you had a son who was sick unto death, 20 miles away, and, and, and Jesus told you, go thy way, thy son liveth, what would you do? You'd hightail it out of there, wouldn't you? You'd catch the fastest transport mode of transportation and you'd get back home to see your son alive. You'd got home. Why? Because you want to see your son. Now, about 
16, 20 miles that, in that day, if he would have been taking by, if he'd have been walking, if he'd have been doing this by foot, they estimate a, a normal, healthy man could do it between four and five hours. And at most, it'd take about eight hours. So but anywhere between four and eight hours, it would have took him to get home. Now, he's a nobleman. He's of the royal line. He's of the royal house. You think he's taking foot? No, he's probably got a Cadillac chariot, right? I mean, he's probably got the fastest horse. He's got some better way, some better mode of transportation. So, so if, if he was to take a chariot or horse to these, these 20 miles, it would have took him about two hours. Now, the servant says, the servant says yesterday, about the seventh hour, that's about 1 p.m., in the day. Could be 1 to 3 p.m. Most people agree it'd be 1 p.m. that day. Now, I'm not super smart at math, but if you go 1 p.m. and add, let's just say, four hours, that's 5 p.m. Let's just say he's not a very healthy man and he was walking by foot at 1 p.m. plus eight hours, it'd have been 9 p.m. at night. Again, I don't think he went by foot. With the Jewish day ending at 6 p.m., right? The Jewish day is, is evening and day, so evening and morning. And so 6 p.m., so maybe he got there at night sometime. And so it technically would be yesterday at 1 p.m. Maybe, maybe that's what it meant. Maybe I don't know. But, but here's what I believe. Either he went by foot, which I don't believe, or he wasn't in a hurry to get home. Here's what I believe. Now, this is Will Allenology, so you mark it down where you want to. I believe he's not hurried home because he rested in the word of the Lord. He rested in what the Lord has said and what the Lord has done. It might, is it possible? That maybe the word of Jesus relieved him of his anxieties about his son so much that he remained there around in Cana just to hear and to see more of what the Lord might do and to understand his message. Well, I just believe not only did he hear the word of God and believe the word of God and obey the word of God, but he rested in the word of God. Psalmist said it like this in Psalm 37. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. He shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Here's what the Lord is saying. Just rest in he said, it's just like the sun coming up. <laughs> you can't hurry the sunrise, but you can't stop the sunrise. And you can't hurry God, but you can't stop God. He said this, just like the light, just like the noonday, I will do what I said I will do. My word is settled, and it will, it is sure, and it will, it will happen. What I've said will happen. And the Bible says this, he that believes in him shall not make haste. Here's this man. He's gone from superficial faith to substantive faith. He he hears the word of God. He believes the word of God. He obeys the word of God. But now he's resting in the word of God. Listen, listen, listen. If you don't learn 
how to rest in the Word of God, you are going to be blown about by every wind of doctrine and you are going to be stampeded by all the troubles and trials and tribulations that come in your life. Don't be, lit, don't be driven by emotions. Don't be driven by feelings. Don't be driven by visions. Don't be driven by dreams and signs and wonders. But be driven by the Word of God this morning. The progression of substantive faith. But then lastly, I'm done. Look in verse number 53. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth and himself believed and his whole house. We see the provision of saving faith. I thought he'd already believed. This man believed earlier in a miracle worker. But now he believes this miracle worker is the Messiah. I believe this time, at this point, this man is born again. Now he believes Jesus is the Lord, the Savior. Samaritans called him the Savior of the world. Can you imagine him getting home that day? <laughs> Can you imagine the rejoicing? Can you imagine as they, 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 he hugs his son and he sees his son and, and he's not just a, barely alive. The Bible says he liveth. And I'm going to just mind you, when Jesus does something, he does not do it halfway. Amen. Amen. He, he does it right. He says, go thy way, thy son liveth. He didn't say give it a few days and let it settle in. You go to a doctor down here and they'll say, well, let's start taking this medicine. Let's give it a week and see how it does. Give it a couple days and see how you do. Take this pill or do this thing. Let's, let's give it a little while. And let's see. Come see me in a couple of weeks. That's all. Jesus, Jesus says, go. Right now, it's happening. And Jesus raised this, man from, this boy from the dead. Can you imagine seeing his son well and alive? He says, now, now wait a minute. Let me, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you who I met today. I went down there and I'd heard that he'd done a lot of miracles and I knew if he could do that, maybe he could do something for you. But son, this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been looking for. This is the one that we've heard about. This is the one that we've been waiting for. Listen, they, his house believes. This house comes to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's what this gospel's all about. It's what this gospel, the whole book's about, the whole Bible's about, but this gospel, according to John, is all about these are written that you might believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. Jesus did not just come as a healer. He came as a Savior. Luke 19 and 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Suppose this boy got healed but didn't get saved. Supposed he, he, he was alive, but he never got born again. Then what would happen? Then, then he would get healed. But in a few years later, he's going to die and go to hell. And listen, that's the reason so many people are still lost today. Because they're seeking the wrong things. They're seeking a sign. They're seeking a wonder. They're seeking a miracle rather than seeking Tim, if you come play softly, I want to read to you something a, a man wrote. It says, why 
I follow Christ. I'm going to read this and then give the invitation. Brother Tyler, if you want to come and start getting ready. He said, I've not seen clear statistical evidence that fewer Christians die of cancer than non-believers or that they are immune in greater degree from the diseases that afflict the human race. Some of the kindest, most selfless persons I've known have had more than their share of bad health. The fact that they belonged to Christ did not insulate them from disease. Therefore, I will not follow Christ for promised healing. I will not deny or dispute evidence of restoration of health. I will rejoice at every recovery from what seems to be hopeless, threatened death. I will not hesitate to pray for recovered health for my loved ones and acquaintance. I'll set no limits on what God may do, but I will not follow Christ for promised healing. I see no sign that Christians escape disaster and accidents more often than others. I've helped dear friends empty muddy water out of dresser drawers and new appliances after a disastrous flood. I remember as a child taking clothes to a widow with five children whose house had burned to the ground. A bullet makes no detour around the body of a believer. Therefore, I will not follow Christ for any promised protection from disaster. I will not scoff at amazing survivals nor deny that providence has and continues to work through the good of God's own. I will continue to pray for protection from wicked men and tragedy, but I will not follow Christ for promised protection from accident or catastrophe. I do not observe that Christians are especially favored with prosperity. Like James, we have all seen the rich oppressing the poor and justice is rarely perfected in this world. The psalmist has said that, I, that he had not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. In the deepest needs of life, that's certainly true. But all of us have known people of integrity who have not prospered. Therefore, I will not follow Christ for promised freedom from physical want or the hope of affluence. I'm not sure that Christians have stronger personalities or fewer neuroses than non-believers. I do know that there is no bitterness like religious bitterness and no arrogance more insufferable. I've watched Christians suffer emotional and mental disabilities. And though it may seem heretical, I'm not sure that I really enjoy living in the same house with either the Apostle Peter or Paul. God's wills that the mind of Christ be formed in us. And there's no doubt in my mind that the Christian's attitude and actions will improve by his Christianity. But I will not follow Christ for any promise of personality enhancement or perfection. Why then follow Christ? Why become a disciple of Jesus when life may become more complicated as he so often warned? For one reason alone. In Jesus we behold the face of God. He is the truth, the everlasting truth. God in the flesh, I know that in His life, death, and resurrection, I am reconciled to God, the giver of life. I believe that nothing can separate me from the love of God. He has all power and goodness. I trust in Him and His promises. To Him, I offer my life, damaged or whole, brief or full of years. It matters not. He is the one certain thing uh, in an uncertain world. He is to be worshipped, not so something will happen to me or to this world. Something already has happened to me and this world. But because He is God who through Jesus 
Jesus Christ has reconciled the world to himself. He saved me. He's my justification. He's the sinner that holds. He to worship the God of our salvation, to offer sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. That alone is our vocation. We offer our lives to God, not so as to be healthy, wealthy or wise, not even so as to gain strength and to do great things for Him. We offer our lives to Him because He alone has claim upon us. The power of faith. Do you believe God? Do you believe God this morning? Do you have superficial faith? Or do you have substantive faith? Do you have saving faith? Do you have living faith? I mentioned it this morning in Sunday school to those that were in the adult class. The just shall live by faith. It's what we have our life in. Our life is in faith. Thank God when we die, we'll have dying faith and faith for that time. But what about the in-between? Are you living by faith? Let's all stand, heads bowed and eyes closed. Do you believe God this morning? Do you believe God this morning? Maybe you say like that one man said, God, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. There's some coming. Some kids are coming. Some adults are coming. Won't you come? Say, God, help my faith. And maybe you need saving faith this morning. Won't you put your faith in him this morning? Brother Tyler's going to sing a song of invitation.